This is 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Released twice per month, every episode brings you one step closer to cyber resilience by hearing how IT leaders are practicing cybersecurity. Resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes. If you're ready to take your cyber resilience to the next level, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Sure. My name's Mark. I'm a cybersecurity, depending on the day of the week, the time of the day, architect, engineer, manager, any, all of those things. I started in networking. I was young, hungry, and maybe not bright in that, you know, people would ask me to do stuff, but I'd say yes. My natural inclination at the time was to say yes to everything. So people would say, hey, I want to network. And I'd say yes. And then I'd say, all right, like, how are we going to do that? So I started networking and then uh, because of the progression of networking in layer three firewalls, typically the network of people were selected to be the firewall experts because again, the layer three knowledge. I still remember my boss, her name was Kim, said, I'm, I'm gonna send you to firewall school. And I said, sure. Again, I wanna say yes to everything. And so I have to find her and thank her. So I've been in firewalls since 2000 and it's just been a natural progression of firewalls to WAF, to host, to network. And it's all, it's just a natural progression. This latest job, I decided I was tired of telling people they were doing it wrong and I'd jump into the fire myself, show them how it's done. Good news is I'm doing it. The bad news is it's harder than it looks on TV. So it's a challenge. It's exciting. Sometimes it's exciting like a roller coaster. Sometimes it's exciting like the house is on fire. So not a good kind of exciting, but every day is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I can appreciate that. It's great. And you mentioned like in the networking professional, right? So I guess inherently you know, 15, 20 years ago, if you were in the networking world, especially when talking and touching firewalls and the perimeter, you by default became the security expert, right? There was really no notion yeah. of actually having a security team at that time, right? It was just securing the no. perimeter. In fact, it was usually, hey, you network guys here, you're running the firewalls and the network people. Yeah, port, IPs, ports, sure. That was a natural progression. So I still think it's a good natural progression. There's still more, obviously, as you know, but it is a natural progression. I prefer to see kind of an evolution. Everybody wants to snap their fingers and be a cybersecurity expert or hire one, but it's a progression. You're not going to know everything day one. So great way to start is PCs, networking, layer three, work your way up. Yep. I agree. Can't agree more. And in terms of size of companies that you work for, I mean, I've looked at your profile and I've seen what you've done. You've worked for some rather large organizations, right? Tell us a little bit about the sizes that you've gone through over the years and where do you feel the most comfortable, where you can provide the most value? That's actually a great question. I've done well in the telcos because the telcos typically are very strong in their networking not necessarily IP networking or not necessarily security. So I always was very successful at the telcos. Typically the customers that need help is uh, say the fortune 1000 or 2000. So I've done well in the mid to large fortune 100, fortune 10, you know, those guys are Jamie Dimon is rumored to have like a thousand or 10,000 people in security. So they're not going to need a lot of help, but the mid size couple Fortune 1000, they're going to need some help. And so that's yeah. where I've done well. They're doing things, you know, and they still need help. And so I've been successful there. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So without dating 
both of ourselves here. I'd like to talk a little bit about how protecting the enterprise has evolved over the years. I think you touched a little bit upon it earlier when you mentioned being close to the networking aspect, but how do you see that change happen over the years? There's definitely been a change and how has it evolved in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. It started, it's funny from a, let's skip protecting for two seconds. Networking has gone the full circle. We had main one mainframe at headquarters and we went full distributed computing and now we're going back to a big host not a mainframe, God forbid, but a big host running in a data center. So we're back mm -hmm. to where we started. The part that's hard is it was easy uh, protecting one mainframe or your web presence because you knew what your attack surface was. The key buzzword to everybody should be attack surface. You have to know your attack surface. So back when web and e-commerce took off, you had one or two. Imagine an Amazon. You have one server, Amazon.com. Protect the daylights out of it. And yeah, everybody was hacking Amazon.com to get free stuff or steal money or things like that. So it went from, let me protect one site or one data center or one thing to now with malware, the goal is to take over a PC. And so now I got to go from protecting one, two, 10 servers to 2,000, 10,000 endpoints. And 99% isn't good enough. If you have 1% of your PCs vulnerable and that 1% gets malware, you're stuck. You're in a bad place. And so it's gotten harder in that I have to know where every single PC is. It's gotten harder because I was originally for compliance for, for servers, it's 100%. I have to be 100% patched. For PCs, I was like, you know what, with executives and traveling, let's shoot for 95%. 95% isn't good enough. It's not yeah. good enough. And, yeah, and at college they get you a good A, but in the real world, <laughs> that just means ninety-five percent of a thousand is what fifty. So fifty PCs are vulnerable. So pray that those fifty PCs don't get attacked. And, uh, it's, so well, yeah, the cliche says, right? You're as strong as your weakest link. If you've got one right. weak link in the chain there, which could be any PC that's vulnerable, then you're done, right? So yeah, there's no room for error. There's no margin for error, that's yeah. for sure, when it comes to protecting the enterprise. And the endpoint, you, you mentioned it. I think the endpoint is extremely, it was overlooked, right? Then you said it's kind of yeah, evolved to maybe. And, and, right. Yeah. And, and an endpoint also now means having a mobile device in your possession. So that also has to be protected yeah. as well. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. This whole MDM, mobile device management, to bring your own device, like, oh, at least... You know, when you have a corporate image, it's our device. This is the image. I am securing I am responsible for the PC on your desk, Luigi. Right. Now it's, oh, yeah, Luigi, bring your own device. Like, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> What's on your device? Do I even know? Exactly, it... exactly. And, so. and where does that device come from? Who's had it? You know, sometimes people buy devices, like, they'll buy them online and they'll reuse them and so on. It's such a tough situation to be in when you're managing a bunch of devices from wh whomever and yeah the, the job has been has obviously yeah. be become more difficult for everyone so yeah that kind of leads me to my question about cybersecurity. we use this word listen it's it's not a buzzword it's an actual thing but yeah so what does cybersecurity mean to you what did it mean in 2000 right let's go back what does it mean in 2000 versus what cybersecurity is in 2022 What's your sure. opinion? Um, yeah, no, it's gotten better and it's gotten worse. So 2000, I had my web servers I had to protect. We had firewalls. So I have one firewall per data center, a handful of rules, a handful of servers. If people went home, they dialed in, literally dialed in, and yep. then 
went through the corporate network. So your traffic came back to corporate, got secure, went back out again. These days with cloud, everyone wants to do everything everywhere. So I've got my laptop and I want to do everything in a Starbucks. Okay, we have things for that. There's cloud right. security, cloud proxies, and that's all well and good. But it still comes down to the IT guys, the IT department, the IT security department has to say, okay, every PC has the appropriate software so that when you go out to, to your Starbucks in, you know, East Chippewa, Idaho, that you're protected. And there's Correct. tools for that. But again, it's back to that 100%. I have to make sure every tool is up to date in terms of all the clients. Every PC, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. And maybe think about something right now. So cybersecurity again in 2000 versus 2022, uh, I mean, the end user, what does that look like? I remember my first job before 2000, that was kind of just in the enterprise there. And security was not even a thing that we thought about, to be honest with you. Now, let's just be honest, right? So now security is like day one, any job orientation, that's kind of like you're pounding in. So again, it's a culture shift, I think, right? So what did you see in terms of your end users in 2020 or 20, uh, 2000 versus now. Have you seen that shift happen? Is it a yes. real thing where people are more cognizant? That's a two different question. <laughs> people, You're right. People are getting training. Years ago, it was don't leave your laptop in your back seat. Security, man, don't leave your laptop in your back seat. Be careful going through airport security. The, the rules around security were very just common sense. Don't do something really dumb. Yes. Now it's, you know, Watch out for this, watch out for that. I want to go down, I guess now is as good time as any. You and I, corporate's training users. There is now most companies onboarding, you get a full hour of IT security training, one to three hours. And that's fantastic. But when I have conversations with people, so two things are happening. One, users are getting trained. Yes. Yep. Two, users are aware. If you call someone up and say, hey, I think we have a problem, they go, oh, yeah, I get it. They'll spout you, this is what, don't do these things. Mm -hmm. I go, great, you get it. And then when I look at my inbox and everyone is forwarding me their spam saying, is this phishing? And I'm like, it's free Viagra? Like, really? <laughs> like, you know, people are forwarding me. I'm 91% uh, of the... I think this is phishing report, phishing button is not phishing. So the 91% and it's really, you just look at it. It's free Walmart gift cards. I mean, come on guys. So yeah. th there's a disconnect between what people are saying and what they're clicking and either, well, first it brings me, I guess, to my next point. I don't mean to go off your path. Sorry. No, people are scared. First and foremost, people are scared executives that I don't think should be scared and normal users, end users, somebody on accountants and account managers, and we don't expect them to be savvy. They're scared. We put the fear of God in them and that's okay. I'm kind of glad to be honest, but they're not doing the right thing. So scaring someone into doing the right thing is not working. Second, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Yeah. We've scared them, and now they forward me all their email to say, hey, Mark, is this phishing? Is this phishing? Is this phishing? Oh, for the love of God. Like, this is not all. This is spam. This is, Right. Know, There's a differentiation there. Yeah. There's a big that Spam is at this point, anyone older than the age of five should know spam. Come on, right? Yeah. Because we get so much of it. But it's the part that's throwing me is executives. The boards, I wrote this in my column, and, and you jumped in. I appreciate it. Um, 
if you go in front of the board and say, I need money for cybersecurity, the board's going to say yes. And I'm like, awesome. That's a great thing for business. So the board says, go spend some money. But then the executives are like, so I bought a whole bunch of tools. And I'm like, okay, what are you doing with those tools? And they're like, watching security. And I'm like, I need a little better answer than that. Right. And so uh, as I write, these tools need to be managed. When I was new in this role, I was like, let's go buy some tools. And then, you know, added four hours to my day. Maybe I'm not getting the best viewpoint here. So we need to be selective about the tools. And if we buy a tool, we need to really use the tool. I'm hung up on a, a database activity monitoring. People are buying it. And when I look at how they're using it, database activity monitoring is an incredible tool, but you need the database person sitting next to you because I don't know what the database looks like. And so here's these expensive tools creating these reports that no one knows how to read. And I'm like, this is not good. So it's business needs to take a breath. And every time you do something, say, I bought something. Okay. What are you going to do with it? What's the purpose? Yeah. Before buying, before buying it, right? Like understand its objective, understand what value you're looking to derive from it. Right. That's a very good valid point. I like that because again, and this is just my opinion, and I'm talking to a lot of professionals like yourself about it. And I'm trying to distinguish between what cybersecurity is and what cyber resilience is. And I know, again, it's another buzzword, but when I'm speaking to customers, I'm basically trying to say, let's do cybersecurity, but we need you to be cyber resilient. And and when I say that, I try to explain what that means, because for me, and I want your opinion on this, and this is important, cybersecurity could be like you said, tools and processes to just secure stuff. When I talk to cyber resilience, it's more of a culture change. It's more of, you know, understanding that the enterprise and everyone involved and engaged in the enterprise has to have some kind of responsibility. So are you talking cyber resilience to to your customers and peers? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that because to to be honest, the first time you said it, you really annoyed me because it Uh kind of opened up another subject. Uh Oh, Oh. okay. Now the truth's coming. You're you're spot on. No, no. Hats off. You're spot on. Back in the day, hacking meant like they stole your information. You just had to recover from that. Now a hack might be either brick your server or encrypt your data. So how do you recover from that? Well, you know, disaster recovery. And so today you need to have your backup system, which the good news is those of us in IT, they've been doing this since the the 40s or 50s or 60s. IT understands backup and restoration. That's the good news. Yeah. But we sort of have raised the bar on them in that we need to be more careful. So we're now encrypting the backups and we're putting something on site. The good news is, again, good news is that there's better tools. A lot of the DR type products are actually like a SAN or something that you can recover much, much, much quicker. Back in the day, it was rebuild the server and then go off site and get the tapes right. and restore the tapes, which is the slowest thing since watching paint dry. <laughs> now it's, and I need to recover in an hour. So we spin up a new VM, which, you know, takes a minute. And then this data storage device that no one knew what it was for now restores a terabyte, half a petabyte, whatever X, wherever we are. Yeah. So this backup thing restores hundreds of gigabytes in 15 minutes. So it's changed, but I think at least those of us who are preoccupied with it, I think we're in a good place because again, we have this cool 
expensive, high-performance backup system that's ready to go in minutes. So that's a great example. Like when you say cyber resilience, you want to be able to recover. I think recovering in any situation is the bigger battle. I mean, getting attacked or hacked and losing data is fine. Oh, it's fine. It's never fine, but you know what I mean? Like it, it happens. But now if the organization is not ready, doesn't have a plan, that's where I see the shortcoming when you talk about resilience. Can we actually get back on our feet, right? And that's what I mean when I talk about cyber resilience. For me, it's how quickly can you recover? Can you really meet those objectives as an organization? How long can you live being down? What are the processes and steps and solutions you have in place to get you back up and running, which you've just described? So for me, that's the, the differentiation between cybersecurity and the cyber resilient aspect. That's the culture that I refer to. And maybe there's a better word. Maybe there isn't. But for me, that's kind of the one that I've been using. And if you think of a better one, Mark, let me know, man. No, I didn't like it. But again, you're making me think of things I don't want to think about. La, 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 everything's fine. No, yeah. I appreciate that. No, it's good because again, today, what's the most likely after they steal your data? Encrypt it. Yeah. So right now that's the standard or common attack. So if I'm encrypted, I'm not going to try and decrypt it. I'm going to wipe it and start from scratch. Yeah. And it's funny how we used to talk about days, to, how many days to recover or hours now it's minutes yep. yep and the tools are there again if you're a normal shop you're going to have a hypervisor and you're going to spin up a new servers and then you're going to restore the data locally in some ways well we're okay and we can recover from an attack obviously the goal for people like us is to not get attacked exactly so. but again like you said the, the tool and the process and the know-how, that all comes together, right? And a lot of companies that I'm working with, they haven't done a restore test. They haven't done a backup integrity check in months and sometimes years. It's just reality things. No. Backing up is the easy part. Is Do you know if it works? Is, you know, like... Funny say that, yeah, the big DR companies used to make you do a DR test. And uh, no, you're right. The good news is IT is used to doing backups, 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 backups. Yep. And then, like you just said, when was your last restoration test? It gets really quiet. Yeah, look, I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? Obviously... This is what we do, right? We walk into companies, we tell them, listen, this is what you need. And more, more so than ever, when you're trying to apply for a cyber insurance policy or you're trying to meet your auditor's needs, they're asking those questions regardless. So we're just helping you put those things in place. So again, you can circumvent it or you can just follow the rules and do what you need to do and just feel better and sleep better at night. That's kind of how we put it. So I appreciate that. And like I said, we still have a long way to understand or make the culture better in all organizations, but I think we are in the right path from what I'm seeing. I do have a really sensitive question or maybe a philosophical one, but there's a lot of ransomware attacks happening right now. There's a lot. We see them every day in the news. They're highly visible in the media. Companies can't hide from these attacks anymore. People find out about them relatively quickly. But some of the attacks that make me very worried are ones that are on critical infrastructure. The U.S. has seen some over the last couple of months, the years, and so on. What's your thoughts on that? Are we ready? Are we not? Again, this is a philosophical one, so you can answer if you want to. But what are your thoughts when it comes around U.S. critical infrastructure? We're not ready. The good news is I could tell you from interviewing and meeting people and things like that, they're now aware of it. Of course, Colonial Pipeline making the headlines right. help make it. I think that the companies are aware of it. But like everybody else, now it's just like somebody, you know, you go to the doctor and he says you're an inch away from a heart attack. You're like, oh, oh snap, now what? Right. So now they got to hire people and they are. I would say they're all in step one or two. You know what they tell you? Admitting you have a problem is the first step. So, <laughs> so they're, they're like the alcoholics. Terrible analogy. I'm sorry. 
you know, they're admitting there's a problem and now that needs to be addressed. And so I think we're in a good place in that we're moving forward, but are we ready today for an attack? Oh, heck no, we're not ready. So admitting the problem exists, that's the first step. We got that. And of course, setting a path and charting a path to mitigating the risk and then having processes and solutions in place that in the event it does happen, be able to bring them back quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And just touching a little bit on that, I've seen it obviously here in Canada as well. We have these, you know, huge, huge companies who provide infrastructure, whether it be hydroelectric and so on, the railways and so on. For me, what worries me the most is the OTIT split for IT was traditional. They know how to protect that. And now there's the operational technology that's out there, which is oh, which yeah. you have the gateway from the IP, right? That's going into the operational. And that to me has become, I wouldn't say a mystery, but I think that's where there's a lot of uneasiness that's happening because the OT tip typically was kind of isolated. It was kind of black boxed. You couldn't get to it. And now you have this connectivity between the IP, which is managing all these devices. And that for me is something that I think we need to get better at. And I'm not sure there's a lot of expertise in the marketplace to do that right now. There's some, but it's like, you know, the early adopters are the guys like you that are trying to sell the solutions. And that's all great. That's all well and good. I think you're right. Back in the day, it was some kind of proprietary RS2, RS422 or RS232 connectivity in the right. zone network. Now, and I've seen them, you've seen them. It's smaller than your phone. It's the yep. size of a matchbook and it has some kind of connector on it and then an ethernet jack. And right. I'm looking at this like, this is not good. And so, yeah, no, I have some kind of water sensor flood meters and that again, it's cute. It's ethernet. If my server room floods, this little thing's going to yep. send me a trap. Great. But again, here's this little thing. It's running IP, which means it has an OS. No, I very much get it. And I was just on a call earlier today. I said, start with segmenting. First, create an OT segment. First and foremost. I've got some good stories about that, but also bad. You remember, I think it was the target was to hack through the air conditioner. There you go. We had a clock, I'm not gonna say the names, we had a clock vendor where they had that the app was in the cloud and they got hacked. And it's very clear that they were not doing zoning correctly because they hacked the cloud, they hacked the user, which then hacked the cloud. And then that cloud was connected to me. And so it's very clear that people are saying, well, we gotta watch the OT thing. And then they're slapping the OT right on the production network. And I just cringe and want to cry. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Even just to have its own segment, like start with that. Then, yeah. we'll, then we'll worry about it later. Yeah, segmenting your network is definitely a, a, the first place you want to start, when, especially when you have stuff that's unknown. So ultimately you're saying we're not ready. And I share that opinion because I know there's a lot of stuff that we haven't even thought about when it comes to that. So yeah. we touched a little bit on skill set. We touched a little bit about the market. Right now, what's your best advice for companies dealing with the staffing issues that we're having and skill set shortages, specifically when it comes to IT security? I'm seeing it. I'm assuming you're seeing it too. You want to comment oh, God, on yeah. that? Two different things. One is, first and foremost, I think every company larger than, I don't know, some number, 1,000, 10,000, 2,000 users needs a security guy. Sorry, I'm, I'm from Jersey. We say guy. So every company bigger than X should have a security person. I don't mean a network and, and, and no, one guy, that's his only job. That's their only job. And so first you need one of those. And then we get into, okay, that's where the shortage begins. What business needs to do 
the big Googles, the big IBMs do it. They have a training program where they understand there's a long haul. And this was big in the 80s and 90s, and then it kind of died. Now it's kind of coming back with the Googles, where you say, okay, we're going to hire four analysts. Knowing full well, two of them are going to quit, and knowing full well, one of them <laughs> may get promoted, may not. And we just need to start at the bottom, and not at the bottom because of time, and say, all right, I'm going to hire four analysts, and in two years, I'm going to promote one or two of them. And everyone, corporate still, I can't speak for Canada, but corporate America still kind of thinks this, you're going to take the job and stay there forever. Not if you're a smart, ambitious engineer. Yeah. You're either going to leave to go down the street or you're going to stay and get promoted. And corporate needs to say, all right, I'm going to hire four people and one of you will get promoted in two years, 18 months. And the hungry, ambitious, smart, they'll get promoted. And then now we've got now a tier two person. And then same way for every two or three tier two people, one of those get promoted to tier three. And corporate needs to say, we're going to have a flow. We want you to stay. And if you're our guy, you're going to move from tier one to two to three in, in certain amounts of time based on benchmarks. The service providers are kind of good at that. And I say kind of because... They're more forced into it's the same boat right you, yeah you, in, in a year or two the people that are young and ambitious ambitious meaning money are going to quit for more pay and corporate will say well we don't want to train the guy and then he leaves and i'm like if you don't train him he's going to leave anyway right and exactly so there's a saying where what if you train them and they leave or what if you don't train them and they stay that's just as right <laughs> no no i love that one i'm like yeah. and everybody stares at you you're like well, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We need to go back to, you know, kind of the old days of saying, I'm going to care and feed, meaning I'm going to hire these four. And I shouldn't say young because I'm not, you know, less experienced people that you're going to grow. And yes, half of them will quit. Half of those half you'll want to quit because they're not your type of people. And that's okay. That's okay but again, yeah. we need to hire four people with a full understanding that you'll be lucky to keep two of them. So along that line, like for us, when I'm talking to clients and they're all looking for cyber experts and looking for infrastructure people, for me, what I basically say is, okay, well, prioritize your projects. Give me a list of your projects because you're not going to just develop staff or skill set overnight. The market is really such is drained right now. There's not a lot of people in the market. We know that there's a lot of risk because of that. There's a lot of bad actors that take advantage of this. There's not a lot of people watching your enterprise then you could be at risk. So what I'm basically telling customers is give me a list of your projects for the next 12 months, 18 months, and let's just prioritize them. And hoping 60% of those projects are in the security space. Really, I really hope. Just because, I mean, if you leave the door open, people are going to come in. You know what I mean? It, That's kind of how I see it. I mean, there's no other way to go the around good, The good news is boards are spending. I've talked to lots of people. I met this awesome CISO, and she's like, when her first I don't know, a month. She's like, I got the board to quadruple my budget. <laughs> I almost fainted. I'm like, I would have settled for double, but she's like, no, I quadrupled it. She's good at selling her business case. That's great. She's good. Yeah. I very much wanted to work for it. It didn't work out. But that's okay. But anyway, <laughs> boards are spending money, but again, now we're back to, okay, so if I give you a whole bunch of money and I tell you to go hire three people, I'm going to come back in three months and say, how's it going? You're going to tell me not so great. I so we half the advice I have brings back to hire more people. Oh yeah, there are more people to hire. We're in this wheel 
Uh, that's to my point, right? Let's look at your projects and then let's be realistic on which ones can be delivered and which ones need to be delivered. And because there's not going to be more staff coming. And that's why I'm always asking that question to anyone I speak about the IT shortages. And then I'm hoping that we're going to see more people in the field. But I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit pessimistic when it comes to that because I'm not seeing a lot of up and coming individuals in their early 20s who are looking at IT as an attractive place. I wish there were, would be more, but right now it's kind of I, difficult. I want to be the optimist and disagree with you, but uh, I'm not, I got Zippo. Well, again, that's why we're so busy, I guess. I feel like we just need to do a grassroots. It doesn't help us. I'll be retired by the time this plan gets through, but we need to go to the young people. My kids... And they were like, ooh, that's geeky, like, ooh, dirty, geeky. And I'm like, yeah. you know, look at my car. I got a nice car. I paid for that. I'm telling my own kids, be a geek. And they yeah. go, yeah, dad, we know you're a geek. It's a good place to be in. It's a great career. You get to, to work with smart career. people. You're not cool, but you could buy a much cooler car than the cool guy. So come on, what do you want to be, buddy? <laughs> No, and we should yeah, start a I, podcast on how to recruit young talent. Dude, you pull up in that uh, that Audi or that Trans Am or whatever the hot young person's car is. Hopefully it's not a Prius, but you, know, <laughs> if you pull up in the cool car, you know, people will just assume you're cool. Get it. Works for me. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah. But the Trans Am hasn't been out there for a while. So that's dating ourselves. <laughs> dating myself. Camaro. Camaro. It still is cool, though, for some people. I'll have to be honest. Hey, you know. So I pull uh, up on a McLaren. There you go. People are going to be like, yes, cool. you're right about that. And it is a career where you can achieve it. That's what people are underestimate. So look, we're doing well with time, but I want to respect your time. So I've got a couple minutes here. I have one last question, which I think we just touched on. So when it comes to the state of affairs of cybersecurity, in terms of getting companies, getting compromised or breached, let's be honest here. Are things going to get worse before they get better? Or are we on the road to, to success here? That's a great question. I wish I had that crystal ball, but I would say they're going to stay where they are because companies can today go buy a good EDR endpoint detection. You can go buy today a good endpoint and have it managed. A lot of those software makers are providing protection. If you have no people, but you got a couple of bucks, anybody can go buy good EDR and have it managed. That is a big part of it. I think that'll go a long way. I think it's going to be about the same as it is today, and it's going to take a while to get better because they're just going to, you know, OT. Let's say we secure all the PCs and my PCs are actually secured. Okay, right. what's next? OT, you already said it. It's already there. So, okay, my PCs are safe, but my OTs and channels. So you're it's, saying it's we're flattening out now. Should we have seen the worst? Let's call it a quality X today. I think we're going to stay at this quality X for at least two years. Well, that's good. I mean, it's obviously it's more optimistic. Well, it's more optimistic than I would have been, to be honest with you, because I, I still see we have some challenges in the enterprise, but I am seeing a lot more awareness, right? So the awareness yes. is good, which is a fundamental way to change things. So if awareness is there and people start engaging and taking a more responsible role in the day-to-day, -day, I think we should be better. But again, the only variable there is that there's a lot more bad actors in the market. So there's more people out there trying to make your day Worst oh, yeah. The, I don't want to say one of the big emails, like every day, they make it easy for the bad actors to set up an account. So a bad actor can set up a Gmail ID of a GM123 with the name Mark's, you know, with my name on it. And so you get an email that says my name on it. And you're like, oh, Mark sent me an email. It's not. It's the bad actor. So some stuff that's still so easy, but you have to be cynical about any emails. There was a group, this one uh, came in. 
the guy had used someone else's LinkedIn and he was like reaching out to people like his old friends. But it's possible that, you know, if you're less cynical, you're like, oh, I think I remember a Bob. Yeah, Bob yeah. something. You know, hey, Luigi, remember when you and I worked at Verizon? And you'll yep. be like, yeah, there was like, please, there were 100,000 people there. <laughs> so um, it's still a challenge. We raise awareness. People say it. And I'm hoping that they're scared enough to not just click away. We've scared them anything. It's just don't click without. Yeah, I agree with you. Before we wrap up here, to your last point, like know the difference between spam and an actual phishing email. Yeah. That's important. That's for sure. I know. This is spam. <laughs> and the gift cards. Oh, my Lord. Every week. Hey, from the CEO, Dave. Hey, so-and-so, pick up some gift cards for the team. And it was so funny. I never laughed so hard. The directors that knew my CEO said, this guy's a cheap SOB and there's <laughs> no way he's buying gift cards for the team. You didn't have to validate that. Laughed. I'm like, okay, whatever works. So that was fun. Good times. Mark, before we wrap up, do you have any questions for me? Is there a good target market for you in terms of who you're dealing with? Is it more of the midsize? Yes, tricky because in midsize in Canada versus U.S. mid-market is a little different. So our large enterprise ends up being your mid-market there in the U.S., kind of, right? Here at Assurance IT, we typically deal with the mid-market companies. Anything to do from, I'd say, 250 employees to 3,000 employees. It's a wide sweet spot, but it's a good sweet spot because going back to your point earlier, there's a lot of need there. There's a lot of requirements. There's some companies have grown tremendously. They got a whole bunch of new employees on staff, and they just haven't been able to keep up with the security demands. I've yeah. worked in large enterprise myself before. I enjoy it. Um, the only thing I can say is without knocking anyone, there are longer cycles to get things done sometimes. You know, so, I mean, again, it's just a matter of cycles. Budgets come in yeah. and then you have to go ahead and they have to deliver the project and so on. But we find that in the mid-market space where companies need to react quicker, so they have less layers of management, they're a lot more nimble, they see a need, yeah. they go get budget approval, business cases are approved a lot quicker, and then we move. So that's who our targets are, and we're, we're seeing a lot of success in there, and we attribute a lot of process into the, into the game. It's great that you throw a tool at it, of course, but you have to also have a process to make sure that business continuity plans, make sure that you've got a, an awareness program in place, and what are you doing to measure that? Those are all things that companies kind of forget when they install a tool. So yeah. tools, processes, and people, it's very important. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Spot on. Well... Um, Mark, any other questions? No, no, no. I was just was going to throw out some crazy idea, but that's what we're Go ahead. What's no, the crazy idea, man? This NIST, these frameworks, I very much appreciate what they're doing, but I, I got a crazy thought listening to you because you inspire thought, Luigi. Yeah, that's that's a quite, quite high praise because I'm working on NIST and I like NIST in that it's, it's plain. Like I get it. 90 days for password expiration. Okay. I know what that means. I know what to do about it. It's easy, but it's also 140 checkboxes. That's a lot of checkboxes. I think maybe the industry should push for like a NIST light, kind of like first grade. If you can get to this first level, you're not perfect. You're not a defense contractor level, but you're at least somewhere. Yes. And so that would be like spam. And the good news is you can get a spam service and an EDR service and a web hosting service. I'm seeing web hosting companies offer managed that as part of managing the app. I'm like, okay, now we're talking, I mean, I know you got to pay for it obviously, but versus hiring a WAF person, not happening. So 
if I can buy a server hosting along with the whole WAP layer, there you go. Yeah, Mark, that's a very good point. So what we do is, again, some of the companies just don't have the exhaustive time or the effort to go through these weeks or month-long situations where they have to go through frameworks and so on. We leverage very often in Canada, we have what we call Cybersecure Canada, which essentially is like 13 controls that they're published, they're online, easy to read, easy to consume, anyone can understand them. And there are 13 security controls that are well aligned with a lot of the frameworks out there already today. They also align with what the cyber insurance companies are asking for. So when a customer comes to me and says, well, where do I start? They said, well, you can't go wrong by looking at these 13 points. Start with these, do your self-assessment. You know, what are you doing today? Are you doing MFA? Are you doing the education awareness? Are you doing the backup? And then if you're not, like, at least it doesn't come off as if I'm trying to push you something. It's a self-assessment that you can easily do yourself. And from there, we say, okay, where's the gap? What are you missing? Let's go and fill those gaps. So I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of frameworks out there and sometimes they're overwhelming for people. So if an organization can self-assess themselves, it's a great start. That way, what's coming from themselves versus someone else externally. And it's a way of keeping yourself honest and do that on a yearly, you know, just make sure that on a yearly basis, you're keeping up with that. Because again, if you don't have enough staff to go through all those processes, make sure there's someone there, like you said, that individual responsible that can self-assess themselves. Yep. Great great thought. I like it. Yeah. Well, good. Listen, Mark, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate going back and forth here. Absolutely, Um, man. You inspire thought, dude. You're making me think. (laughs) I'm going to remember that. I'm going to tell my family that. (laughs) Sometimes there's things I don't want to think about, but that's, you know. Hey, like that's what we're here for. We got to keep ourselves in our toes. Hey, real so, quick, on the cyber insurance, met some interesting contacts. One, the cyber insurance guys are taking a bath. They're, yep. they're getting soaked. So either they weren't good at assessing or whatever it is, they're taking a bath. So they're jacking up their rates. Right. Personally speaking, our rates went up despite reaching compliance. So our security posture went up and our rates still went up. Second, I got audited by one of those guys. I almost ripped in the shreds and I almost got thrown out of the room. He didn't like a lot of service accounts. We're big on service accounts, you know, machine logs in, machine X, and then you know who it is. And this guy like, nah, too many service accounts are too tedious. And I'm like, so you want me to share logins and share passwords? And like, he wanted to say yes, but he knew where I was going. And I just was like, this guy doesn't deserve his job. If he thinks that sharing service accounts is a good idea, he yeah. should be canned. That's a little harsh. But. You got him there. That's good. But you're right about the cyber insurance policies. And what we're seeing also is that they'll get approved with a lot of contingencies. A lot of If you don't comply by X date, we're going to just pull it away. Well, I mean, they'll approve you on a renewal. We work with a couple of cyber insurance companies. And what we're seeing is the renewals are the hardest things right now. So forget the net new customers. It's the actual renewals because they were giving policies away, right? A lot of policies. They were just writing them up. Now everyone was buying them and everyone was cool three, four years ago. But now upon renewal, the underwriting companies are saying, well, wait a second. We don't want to assume that risk because we know that they're in an industry or they don't have the staff to manage the risk associated with it. And according to our books, they're getting hacked every day. So regardless of jacking up the prices, they won't renew them unless they do certain things. And I agree with that, but where's that line? You know, the church company's not in the business of losing money, Mark, as you know. No, they're not. <laughs> and so I get it, but it's sort of like, are you going to have a guy like clearly the last security assessor knew way less than I did? Yeah, well, again, it goes back to the skill set lacking. There's a lot of skill set lacking in the field, and they've got their check boxes that they go through. So 
I guess it's an interesting field. There's a lot, a lot of challenges. And I think for me, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming ahead. I think we're, yeah. we're only in the infancy when it comes to really protecting the enterprise, the individual and so on. And real quick, again, sort of on the personal advice level, we used Darktrace. Darktrace is fascinating, but the end of the day was more of a time suck. When Darktrace said, you better look at this, there goes an hour to three hours of your day. Wow. And it's a cool tool, but it's not 100%. So twice it was either legit software or just a mixture of bad events. Or not bad, just mislabeled events, right. you know, oh, AI and self-learning and hoorah, and I'm going to sit back and it's going to tell me stuff. No, it says, look at this and now take four hours out of your day. There's some neat tools, but we're back to, here's a tool that is going to take three hours, two yeah. hours of my day. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, Mark, I have to officially thank you for taking the time. It was a pleasure. It was an honor Absolutely. to spend the time with you. And I know we're going to continue this conversation online yep. in person one day. And again, wishing you a great day. Thank you, Luigi. Real pleasure, man. It's absolutely a blast. So we'll have to keep in touch and fix stuff as it breaks. And oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will. Thank you for listening to 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Assurance IT is in the cybersecurity space, specializing in data protection and compliance. Since 2011, they primarily help mid-sized enterprises in Canada. If you have questions about protecting your data, reach out to us directly at info at assuranceit.ca or visit assuranceit.ca.